episode of the Working Enneagram podcast, where we talk about the Enneagram in the context of work. I'm your host, Kelsey Taylor, and you are in for a treat today. I don't have a special guest I'm interviewing. Instead, I have compiled an audio montage of the best and favorite moments on the podcast this year. What you're going to hear in this episode is a short clip from each of the nine Enneagram types. After each clip, I'm going to share a coaching tip for each type and a point of empathy for others who work with that specific type. This episode is like a salad that tastes good and fills you up. It's good and it's good for you. Okay, our first clip comes from Enneagram One, Austin Fisher, a lead pastor of a non-denominational church. Let's hear what he has to say about encouragement. When I'm making a decision like by myself, for the most part, I'm pretty decisive. Like I know what I think is right and I'll go with it. But when you start having to manage a team and a larger team, and to your point, it's not just about being right, but it's about holding the team together, you know, and sometimes those things don't sync up perfectly. One of the struggles can be with procrastination because I get so caught up in like, I have to make the perfect decision on this thing. Yes. And there aren't just two decisions, you know, there are like 30 different variations of what this decision mm -hmm. could be because that's just the way my brain automatically works. It can lead sometimes to me dragging my feet on decisions to try to get it perfect. When a lot of times there are things where like it being good is good enough. Yeah. And it's so hard for me. But once you start leading on more scale, you have to do that or you'll burn yourself out mm -hmm. and you will really cause a lot of stagnation in your organization because everything's kind of caught with you making sure your decision is perfect. And then of course, also wow. with that, you can be utterly insufferable to work with because you're so <laughs> critical. Yes. And what's funny is most people on our staff, I mean, they know I'm critical, but they don't know that it's actually so much worse than they think. And again, it's, you know, it means because you just walk into a room and you just notice all yes. the things that are wrong about the room. You yes. sit through a a worship service or a sermon and you just notice all these things that could have been better and the things that are good it's like well those were good but i mean that's just the way it's supposed to be mm -hmm. so you don't get a pat on the back for doing what you're supposed yeah. to do and so i really have had to go out of my way to make sure i am relentlessly encouraging mm -hmm. to staffers because naturally and i think i'm doing it for their good but naturally my feedback would be much more critical because mm -hmm. that's what jumps out to me I love that Austin says he tries to be relentlessly encouraging to his team because he knows that's not the natural tendency of the type one. This is really, really good work for any type one. And I would encourage you to take a page out of Austin's book here. Be relentlessly encouraging to the people you work with. If you work with a type one, you may notice the critical nature that Austin mentioned. It will help your relationship with the one to know that their feedback really is coming from a deep place of care. It can also help your relationship to acknowledge their desire to help. Saying things like, thanks for helping me get better, or that's a really good idea, I wouldn't have thought of that, can go a long way for your relationship. Our next clip comes from Enneagram 2, Ben Taylor, an associate director for a private Baptist university. For me, what I have kind of described it as is I am looking at caring for people as if there's an expiration date on there. So I've got to make sure that you are cared for in an adequate amount of time because that's going to expire. That's the unhealthy side, right? Is I must do this or else it will run out. 
And it goes the other way is, okay, now I need to receive something reciprocated in a certain amount of time before that runs out too. Mm -hmm. And so those expiration dates kind of go both ways. I love the expiration date. I think that's super helpful that it it works both ways. There's an expiration date with your happiness and contentment. And I got to make sure I keep a, a good rapport with you. Yep. And I'm just checking in and each day where you're happy. Okay. Expiration date is good for at least another day, hour. What does that look like? Who knows? <laughs> it varies person by person, day by day. Yeah, that makes sense. Meeting by meeting. <laughs> I would just like to add to that the redemption of this is, and I've learned this from my counselor, who's also a type two, and he has taught me that the redeeming message of being a type two is that there is enough love already in the world as is. And so that would be my word of encouragement to type twos. And it takes a while to learn that. I'm still learning that. But just even being introduced to the concept of it is mind-blowing. It's something to wrestle with. But there's some peace in there that there is just already enough love in the world as is. I really liked this explanation of the twos need to be loved with an expiration date. In other words, twos believe they will only be loved if they are continuously helping, encouraging, or supporting others. And since we all tend to think everyone sees the world the way we do, twos can experience deep, immense shame when others are not as helpful, encouraging, or supportive to them as they are to others. If you're a type two, it's important to know that it is okay, sometimes even necessary, to say no when a team member needs you. If you're a type two, it's important to know that it is okay, sometimes even necessary, to say no when a team member needs you. Give them someone or something else that they can rely on when you are at your capacity. If you're working with a type two, be conscious of how much they are doing. Offer to help them for a change. Don't take advantage of their time and support, and be sure to specifically appreciate their help. Our next clip comes from Enneagram 3, Brandon Griggs, an assistant dean of student affairs in higher education. As an achiever, I think some of the healthy ways is, you know, we are a smaller organization. We don't have a lot of staff. And so we are lean at times. And so for me, I look at structure. So I look at structure. And if I know that we have these eight projects we're working on and we need to get five of them through the next couple of months, I'm always looking at what are the shortcuts? What's the reputation of myself and my staff that my staff has always seen positively because they do phenomenal work, right? And so they should get that recognition across campus. You know, I think sometimes we do have to look at what are the efficiencies we can implement. If we need to cut corners, what can we cut corners in to get a project through? And so I think time becomes a necessity. I am very results driven. And if I know that we need to get to the end goal, sometimes it's all about efficiency on how can we get there. And I know for me personally, once we get there, I am off on the next thing. And so I think one of the weaknesses in that is in terms of following up on the project afterward, I don't tend to do that very much. Kind of give you an example. We've hired some directors over the last couple of years. And so I go out there and I look for the best director over the career center or the student success center, whatever it may be across the U.S., right? I find them, I bring them to campus, we hire them. All is great for me. And once we hire them, I move on to the next project, right? And so I know one of my weaknesses, and my directors would probably say the same thing, is onboarding is such a crucial thing. And I'm not the best at always following up with that because now I'm on to the next task, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah, it's almost like when you check something off your list, you don't need to think about it anymore. It's done. So let's move on to the next thing and figure out what's next on the list and let's do that. Okay, Brandon's self-awareness here is incredible. 
Did you hear how he acknowledges his tendency to complete a project and then just move to the next without following up on the last project? This is typical three behavior. And the gift is that they can just crush their goals. The downside is that they move on so quickly. And as a result, people can feel like the three does not necessarily care about them. When that's not necessarily true, they're just motivated and wired to move on to the next thing. If you're a three, be sure to create some kind of follow-up system for your team members and projects. Also, allow space for rest and celebration between projects. If you work with a three, be sure to notice their accomplishments and give them the recognition they deserve. A simple way to go can really go a long way. Next up is Enneagram 4 Tucker Morrow, who is an area director for a nonprofit organization. For me, it's almost like a puzzle with like a missing puzzle piece. And every time that you feel like you've narrowed it down to what the missing puzzle piece looks like, it feels like it shifts. And so the challenge is to remind yourself constantly, and I have to do this daily, that there is no missing puzzle piece. Type fours are really keyed in on the fact that eternity is different than the current place we find ourselves. And so I think there's a longing for things that aren't able to be fulfilled in this life. And Mm -hmm. so it's just this constant, oh, maybe it's this or maybe it's that. I mean, I remember in college and Paige and I've been dating since we were 19 years old. And so she got to experience all of these swings, but it's just, I just knew I was supposed to like create something, but I didn't know what it was. And so I like got into stop motion for, (laughs) I was like, that's it. I'm going to do stop motion. And so I like bought Play-Doh and I'm like, I didn't know what I was doing. And then it was like, well, maybe I'm a writer or maybe I should learn to paint or maybe whatever it is. Like there's just this deep, like I've just got to create something. And so it's a constant tension of reminding yourself that there's nothing missing while feeling like there is. I feel like that's the constant thing with fours is feelings aren't always reality and constantly going like, I've got to acknowledge that I'm feeling this way, but remind myself that it probably also is not the truth in the situation. I really love when Tucker said the challenge is to remind yourself that there is no missing puzzle piece. What a good word for type fours. If you're type four, you'll lead in a very unique style, and that is a good thing. Be mindful of your unconscious belief that something is missing. If you work with a type four, be patient with their ever-changing moods and allow them space to be their authentic self. Next up, we have Enneagram 5, Tony Hale, the CEO of a financial institution. Let's hear what Tony has to say about time. If it's a complex or high-stake decision, you can easily get paralyzed Mm -hmm. by the analysis, especially when there are lots of solutions. An example would be if we're having to buy a software solution and there might be 10 or 12 off-the-shelf options. I have a hard time saying, let's only look at six. Mm -hmm. I want to look at all of them. And that's not good. What happens is if you only look at six and you choose one and you get down the road and you don't like what you chose, you're reinforcing that initial fear that you should have looked, you should have been more thorough. And so that, unfortunately, seldom does it work out that you just love whatever choice you made. It's great if it happens, but it can really slow down an organization's tempo to be so analytical about the solutions. Because sometimes speed matters more than a type five might account for. I particularly like this clip because Tony articulates the dilemma of the five perfectly here. The five wants more time to exhaust all options. 
but there's more information than there is time. And at some point, the decision has to get made. So if you're a type five, remember Tony's words, speed matters more than a type five might account for. If you work with the type five, it is important to know that they tend to need more time to process their thoughts than the rest of us. When they ask for time, it would be wise to respect that request. Go ahead and give them a deadline because that's helpful too, but acknowledge they need a little bit more time than the rest of us. Our next clip comes from Enneagram 6, Brooke Fox, a nursery nurse. Listen to what she has to say about trust. I go to work and it's never going to be the same. Never going to see the same patients. I'm never going to experience the same delivery. It's always going to be different. So you have to be across the board prepared. And there is a whole team that brings a child into this world safely. Hospitals are hard. People are difficult. And I'm not dancing around anything other than I want to be respectful of hospitals and the teams, mm-hmm. but there is a hard place to work. There's so many people, so many fears and personalities that come into play in a hospital. And so absolutely every day I'm analyzing, can I trust you as a provider? Can I trust you as a family? Can I trust you as my charge nurse? Can I trust you as my manager? And it's an uphill battle. Like I really do have to work and humble myself. One, to remind myself, not everyone in this world is a believer, right? And to have grace and understanding and patience for people who don't see the world in the same way that I do. And also to just know that you're my manager for a reason. You're my charge nurse for a reason. You've done the work before me. And I don't know everything. I like to think that I do, but I don't. So I really do. I really do have to humble myself on a daily basis and hourly basis. I mean, it is 12 hours of, can I trust you? Okay, yes. Can I trust you? No. And then that kind of shakes me and I have to learn to work through that. If you're an Enneagram 6 listening to this, I want you to remember what Brooke said about trusting leadership. It is okay to speak up, but be mindful of when your anxiety is getting the best of you. It's helpful to know that not everybody sees the world the way that you do, and that's okay. But don't let the differences in other people create distance between you and them. If you work with an Enneagram 6, I want you to reconsider labeling them as pessimistic. Their questions are good questions that are intended to keep you and the organization safe. Not to be a total buzzkill. Appreciate them and their perspective. They have the whole team at heart, and they're very committed. Up next, we have Enneagram 7, Jake Rail, who is a mindset coach. And I really love what he has to say about fun. How do you explain a core desire of satisfaction and fun and joy to someone that doesn't understand or, or isn't familiar with the Enneagram? And so for me, I guess the way that I understand that it's a core desire is that if I walked into this room to do this podcast and I didn't have a shirt on, I would be like, something is missing. Even if I wasn't sure what it was, something is not here. And I feel that way about fun. Mm -hmm. If I'm in a situation and the fun's missing, I'm like, whoa, whoa, hold on. We haven't started. There must be something addressed right here because this is not fun. I don't mean that everything needs to be fun, but the fun needs to come. Like I'm wearing more than a shirt, but the fun needs to come to the party. And so whatever's going on, I would say, even in grieving, there's going to be an element of if I imagine grieving the loss of a loved one, it includes two things. It includes tears and sadness and memories and these stories that have you laughing, you know, like you can't even catch your breath. And for me, it has to be that way. Mm -hmm. And so 
to nail down this idea of a core desire, it's not like, ooh, I just want to party. It's that if the fun's not there, it's not complete. If you're an Enneagram 7 and you're having trouble working through the more mundane aspects of your work, try adding a creative element by asking yourself, what's the most fun way to do this? If you work with an Enneagram 7, it's helpful to understand their desire to incorporate fun into the mix. As you heard from Jake, not everything has to be a party all of the time, but the seven's desire to add some fun to the mix can often be misperceived as distraction or laziness. When, in all actuality, it's a gift. Up next, we have Enneagram 8 John Weibel, who is an entrepreneur. No surprise there. And what you're about to hear from him is actually something I started doing with my own kids. And you guys, it is game changer. You're going to love this. You know, I had friends growing up and things. And my dad and mom, they were very involved. Like you said, following leadership, strong leadership. My dad was an incredible leader. He spent the time. He... (laughs) What'd you say? Inspect what you expect. He definitely would follow up with individual kids, with the family. We had family time, which as a kid, you know, I hated. We'd be out playing time for family time. And I was like, oh my gosh. But it was, you know, he'd come in and he would just be honestly inspecting what he expected. Every time we leave the house, he'd go, hey, guys, remember who you are, whose you are and who you represent. And again, it's just that call from a leader back to someone who's following them. Hey, I'm calling you to a certain standard and I want you to represent that. You know, of course. Early on, you know, we had to respond to that. I'm now doing that with our kids, you know, and they're having to respond to it. You know, remember who you are. You know, oh, I'm a white bull. Remember whose you are. Well, I'm God. Remember who you represent. Well, I represent my family and my friends and my church and my school. And, and it helps that then when you go out, what motivates the decision you make? You know, you remember those little things. And so an example of that. And then I have friends who just had parents that just did not care that I would go to their house and they would just do whatever they wanted. and. They would go out and do really stupid things. And I'd be like, no, this doesn't line up with the who you are, who's you are, and who you represent. This is a bad idea. And they'd go, my parents don't care. And it's just like, oh, you know, and that's what I guess a great example for my life. I'm just going, yeah, there's a huge dichotomy there. And I go, I'm in for that one. So if you're an Enneagram 8, I would encourage you to find a standard for your business and call your team to live by that standard. Be sure that you're inspecting what you're expecting with the standards that you create. If you work with an eight, it may be helpful to know that they can expect you to be honest and direct with them. They have a very high BS monitor, and they can tell the difference between lip service and sincerity. And last but certainly not least, we have Enneagram 9, Miranda Sisson, who is an HR and finance administrator. And when you hear her response to my question about why she loves celebrating people, you'll see why HR is a perfect outlet for her gifts. Let's listen. Why do you think that celebrating is so important to you? I think it comes from just my childhood of just being unseen. I know how that feels and it doesn't feel good. And so I never want at least the people in my circle to ever feel like that. I don't want them to ever feel unseen. And so I love to celebrate you. You know, I say celebrate, but I just love to check in, just make sure how is your life? I mean, I genuinely want to know. I speak for myself, but I think for Chris too, nines are incredibly intuitive. And so if you respond to me like, I'm good. I'm like, well, I don't believe you. Let's have a conversation because I genuinely care. I know how it feels to, to feel uncelebrated or to feel unseen. I just never want anybody that I can help to yeah. ever feel that way. If you're a nine, then lean into your gift of helping people be seen and heard. And don't forget to include yourself in that. Your opinions matter too. 
If you work with a nine, be sure to return the favor. Take time to listen and celebrate them once in a while. Odds are they're being overlooked somewhere in their life. Well, friends, that wraps it up for the highlights from the Working Enneagram podcast episodes this year. If you like what you heard here, then you are going to love what I have planned for January. I have created a brand new online Enneagram course that will be released January 2nd. Click the waitlist link in the show notes to be notified once the course is available to purchase. The course is called Solving the Me Mystery, and it's a seven-week online course that will teach you the best and worst parts of your personality. In this course, you'll become aware of the harmful habits that keep you from living the life that God intended you to live. You're also going to learn how to create balance in your personality, how to identify when you're stressed, as well as how to communicate effectively. Trust me when I say you will not want to miss out, so be sure and get on that wait list. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next year.